can't pay the IRS, haven't filed in a while, receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. We're welcoming you to our Friday news roundup where we look at the news from the week and Victor provides us with extraordinary commentary on that news. So we've got a lot on our agenda today. The Ukraine, of course, we'll have a look at what's going on in Ukraine and Victor's thoughts on that. We have lots of Black on Asian and on Jewish and elderly crime, and we wanted to talk a little bit about that. What Victor sees for the midterms, and then maybe some on high tech and the Durham investigation. But first, let's listen to these messages. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome back. So, Victor, how are you doing? What's on your mind these days? Just to maybe start a little and then we'll talk a little bit about the Ukraine. I've been very busy. I, uh, well... Everybody's very busy, but I've been, uh, I was in Phoenix last week. I was in Los Angeles for a Hoover event this weekend, this past weekend. I'm going to go over tomorrow night to Hoover again. I've been really, and then I have this ongoing project. So I'm 90% done with the wiring. I've ordered a 1500 gallon cement septic. I have a new water line project coming in. So all my demons of the last uh, 40 to 50 years in this house, I'm trying to excise all at <laughs> once. 
all at once. So it's all chaos. It's chaos. Yeah. All right. Well, very old house. So we hope that the this renovations go well. Yeah. I hope the renovations go well. We might have to call up this old house guys. What's that guy's name again? I forgot. I really need him because uh, when I get into all this, these wiring, I'm looking for my grandfather's 1920 diagram. He had one when I was a little boy on cardboard and it oh looked like a, a labyrinth of all this knob and tube wiring <laughs> and fuses and everything. But I've seen it. I just don't know where it is. It would help me go where, you know, see where these things are in the walls that are all tapped into Romex. There's all kinds of families of Romex. There's initial Romex that's no good. It's okay. It's no ground. But then there's intermediate that they actually dip the wire and rubber, and that is worse than the original Romex. And then there's finally good Romex with three wires I don't have to touch, but they're all mm-hmm. four families of wiring. Well, it's amazing that if you've got a 150-year-old house, it hasn't burned down yet. So maybe there's good luck there. Well, that's what one person told me. He said, you know, it's good that you're doing this, but as long as you don't go up and walk around and traipse around the attics and screw around with the insulation, all of which we did, then knob and tube is usually it's got resin, it's got cloth, it'll last for a long time. Okay, so let's move forward. I want to remind everybody that Victor is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow in Military History and Classics at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. He's available, too, at his website, victorhanson.com. That's H-A-N-S-O-N.com. And everybody's welcome. We have a lot of material that's for free for subscribers. And then there's also the subscribed ultra material, which is prolific on his website as well. So come join us. Well, Victor, we still have the Ukraine war going on. I believe we're today, this is Wednesday that we're recording. We're on day 43. And I was wondering, are we seeing an end in sight on this war? Or how will it end? We're seeing seeing the end of the beginning to quote Churchill, but not the quite the beginning of the end. By that, I mean, as everybody's remarked on the idea of an airborne lightning shock and awe strike on Kiev by special commandos, followed by a blitzkrieg right into the capital, take Kiev intact, and then maybe either swing around a Maripol or go all the way down to Odessa and, and annex all of the Eastern Ukraine, incorporate it within Russia, get all of its valuable tech industries, its grain, its natural resources, and then tell Western Ukraine, these are the conditions under which you won't be in. That's all over with now. It didn't happen. And so Putin's Carthaginian medieval backup plan is to take the borderlands and the Black Sea, and he has it. And now he can't tell the Russian people, well, you know, I killed 20,000 of your kids to end up with exactly what we had before the war. So what he's now going to have to do is say from Kiev on a line all the way down the Black Sea eastward, I made a desert, as Tacitus reminds us in the Agricola, I made a desert and called it peace. In other words, I so devastated the Ukrainian quote-unquote Nazis, that they will not be able to pose a credible threat to Russia for the next 30 years they're going to be rebuilding. And more importantly, I set a precedent. 
that anytime, anywhere, to anybody, I can act irrationally and the world's going to make allowances for it, A. And B, hey, you Western Ukrainian, you think you're going to have rap music? You think you're going to high five, wear jeans, hang out, be Mr. Zelensky with a T-shirt, go on, you know, talk to the Oscars, Saturday Night Live? Ain't going to happen. You're not going to corrupt our Russian culture because what I did to Eastern Ukraine I can do to you. And guess what? Nobody came to your aid. So all of the traditional restraints on a particular country, fine or sanctioned by the UN, sanctioned by the West, ostracized, convicted of genocide, it doesn't care. And so that's where we are now. I don't know. There's two ways of interpreting drip by drip each day. If you're an optimist, you say, Every day that Ukraine is not defeated, it gets stronger because it's getting better and better weapons. It's flooded with stingers. It's flooded with javelin. Maybe Biden shouldn't have canceled the harpoons. Maybe they're sneaking in harpoon short of ship missiles. I don't know. But every day, Russian losses mounted. Or if you're a pessimist, you say, Victor, Victor, Victor. 145 million people to Ukraine's 42. GDP, 30 times Ukraine's area, even more so. So come on. This is just yeah. the first phase. It's like, you know, you can't stop this Russian monster. They can be brave, they can fight, but they are losing too. And they've lost maybe 5,000 people in some of these individual cities. So ultimately, we know what the verdict will be. It's sort of like the brave polls in 39, but they ended up losing. And that's the pessimistic. And so every day that he gets closer to wiping them out, the Russian people say, well, they may have killed our kids, but Mr. Putin showed them. So it's hard to, to know where the truth is about the yin and the yang of the war, but I, I'm a little bit more optimistic than that pessimistic second choice. Yeah. When that war started, I said, oh, this looks like Putin in good old-fashioned imperialism and trying to gain as much territory as he can. I feel like he really hasn't gained as much as he would have liked to. So I don't know he, what they're going to end up he hasn't, settling but he's, for. You, but. He's, he's redefining what he's doing. He's really emulating the German army's tactics and after the Battle of Kursk in mid-43 to 45, when they were slowly withdrawing from, they had hedgehogs. So every once in a while, they didn't trap a small battalion or brigade of Russians. They were very stubborn. But as they went westward, they left the Soviet Union desolate. And it took them until the late 1950s to recreate their rail, their electricity, their dam. They just destroyed everything in their path. Yeah. Okay. So let's turn then to the issue of black on Asian crime. That's Jewish a big switch. Crime. Yeah, I know it is. But give me a second here because I want to, there's some interesting phenomenon. It's not just that we're seeing a lot of videos where young black kids are assaulting Asians or Jewish or the elderly, but that we are watching as well parallel with that things like Andrew Solomon on the John Stewart show, where the segment was called the problem with white people. So right parallel to these crimes that we're seeing, you know, captured on video, we've got this discussion going on by this elite. And I'm going to quote, I actually read Sullivan's 
I guess you'd call it kind of a response to having been on the show because he laid out how he saw everything. And he said that in the monologue of Jon Stewart, that he basically made statements like this, that America hasn't had a quote, and this is quoting from Sullivan's account, but an honest discussion about race until 2020. And two, that nothing has been done by whites to support African-Americans from 1619 forward. So I thought maybe if you could address so those spoke two another, claims. Yeah, yeah, so spoke another Hollywood multimillionaire pamper privileged person. It gets back to the central thesis that when anybody goes tribal and collectively tribal and looks at everybody else through the same lens, it never ends up well. So this started with Obama, as I've said before, when he rebranded affirmative action, not as a historic repertory effort for admission and hiring to the African-Americans, but created a new thing called diversity, which meant if you were not white, Spanish aristocrat, maybe, with a trill, Argentinian, Asian orthodontist. I don't know. You could be a Nigerian surgeon. You, no class, no income considerations. You were all in a monolithic Jesse Jackson Rainbow Coalition, and that started this stuff. Okay, so if you're, say, if you're Joy Reid or you're Professor Kendi or Ta-Nehisi Coates, or Al Sharpton, you say black, 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 and you say white privilege, white privilege, white privilege, white hatred, white rage, Millie, Austin. So what you're basically saying to the so-called 250 million people, 70% of the population, you're saying you're all the same. It's just like we're all the same, you're all the same. But the difference between you is that we're noble victims of you, and you're all ignoble oppressors, all of you, no exceptions. That's what John Stewart is, you know, he's emulating. So that means my dead mother, who was a judge, who was sort of a civil rights advocate her whole life in 1939, organized, helped farmers to save Japanese American farms. That means my father, who was a strong Democrat, who had a vocational school, kind of a in the 1970s for minority vocational training, all of these people who were insidiously racist. It means my passed away daughter was a racist who dated people of every race and was kindest person at her memorial service to African-American people came up and said they were her best friend. But they're all racist. Okay, you've done that now for two years. So then we, what's the compliment of that. The compliment of that is that all African-Americans are collective too. That's what, exactly what Martin Luther King said we shouldn't do. We should not talk about our color of our skin, but the content of our character. He meant individual color, individual character. He didn't mean collective color. They're saying collective color. He's saying individual character. So mm-hmm. what I'm getting at is when I talk to a Tom Soul or Shelby Steele, I don't think in terms of Ta Nahitsi Coates or Whoopi Goldberg. They have nothing in common. I don't have anything in common with Jon Stewart. They don't look at me and say, oh, you're just like John. We're individuals. But if you violate that canon, as the African-American left-wing leadership has, then you better suffer the consequences. Just Just as all white people are collectively guilty of being slave owners, so then when you see an epidemic of crime, and there is an epidemic of black crime, all the statistics show it, and even rare interracial crime is climbing. 
where black males are about five times more likely to attack white people than white people are to, to attack black males. And Asian Americans are inordinately attacked by black males. And the crime rate in general is climbing. And illegitimacy is getting back to about 75 to 80 percent in the black American community. And abortions will get back probably to a million aborted. And you're going to see all of these statistics. Okay. And what is the black community doing about it? They're reinforcing that because the black elite are saying black, black, black. So then the rest of the country, not the rest of the white country, the Asian, the Latino. And I get these conversations with people come up to me in my hometown. So why don't you talk about this? And what they're saying is if we're all collectively the same and we're all responsible, then who is responsible for this soaring crime rate? And who is responsible for attacking elderly Asians, well, individual black males who were pretty bad people or the entire African-American community. So if you indict an entire community, then you have to indict all the communities. And you always look at the lowest common denominator and you find one white racist and then everybody is racist. That's not tenable. You can't tell 70 percent of the country night after night on TV and you're elite you can't tell them they're racist and they're full of rage and they're bad people. It just won't work because if that's true, they would say, okay, we have no illegal immigration problem. Nobody wants to come and be with this 70% evil white person. And at the founding of our country, the country was 96% white. So who would want to come? But yet we're the target of all immigrants, legal and otherwise in the world. Or if you continue, and this is what, I think Sullivan was saying, I read the transcript of what he was saying, and I don't agree with him. I mean, this is a guy who told us that Sarah Palin did not, was not pregnant with her son that had disabilities. So I'm skeptical. But what he's basically saying to Jon Stewart is that, okay, since the inauguration of the great society, we've spent $19 trillion in cash transfer to the African-American community in large part, war on poverty. Does that show that nobody, everybody was callous? In the Civil War, there were 700,000 dead. About 350,000 came from the North. Of that 350, I think a conservative guess would say 300,000 were living in places like Northern Michigan, Illinois, where they never saw an African-American person. Henry Hancock's diary of the march through Georgia is full of astounding observation by white farmers from Iowa, Michigan, Illinois. They had never seen an African-American. And when they got down there, they liked African-Americans, slaves, and they freed them. They followed Sherman. Sherman was, we would call him a racist today, but nevertheless, they were furious. And what did they do? They burned down the plantation of Hal Cobb, governor of Georgia. So, and they died. A lot of people, not on that march, but they died in places like in the seven days and Old Harbor under Grant. So what were they doing if John Stewart's right? This was a racist society and everybody believed in slavery and they didn't, or they were so nonchalant, they didn't care about it. Why in the world did they go to war and destroy the country? If exactly. Not? And so, and why did they spend $19 trillion? And why did they make a society where people like LeBron James and Whoopi Goldberg and Oprah and Ta-Nehisi Coates are all multimillionaires, if some of them are not multi-billionaires. 
And when you turn over and you try to do, you know, why is 55% of commercials African-American? Why did an African-American team produce the Oscars and 50% of the on-screen time were African-American in a racist society? And, you know, if you're going to condemn everybody as being white privilege in your toxic white culture, then somebody's going to say, well, when Will Smith slapped Chris Rock, well, then the African-American producers are responsible for that. And Jesse Smollett's responsible for that. So yeah. that's not what you want to do. You don't no. want to indict entire people and stereotype. It's a contrary to the entire civil rights movement. It's exactly what, what Martin Luther King was afraid of. And it's exactly what the Confederacy was all about. This is what's so weird. You take these blue states, California, Illinois, New York, where liberalism is at its peak, they are Confederate. They embody all the principles of the Confederacy. Just check them off. Nullification of federal laws, they don't apply to us. We're morally superior. Try 550 sanctuary cities. Two classes, no middle class. <laughs> Medievalism, a plantation class. Try Silicon Valley and coastal California and everybody else in the rest that are poor, they can't afford a house. Neo-Confederate. One drop rule, you have people in states sending their DNA tests so they can get affirmative action and they supposedly racist society that discriminates against people of color. If Joy Reid was right and if John Stewart was right, I want to ask them a question. Why will not Stanford University and Princeton University admit I should say admittances, why don't they show us the racial breakdown of admittances? They were always so proud to virtue signal. They would say, we have 12% African-Americans, 12% African-Americans are at Princeton. We have 9% Latino, 9% Latino. That's what they did. They won't do it this last year or two. Why? Because they're not proportionally representative. They're repertory representative. They are letting in people that are not syncing with their numbers in the population, and they will not release. And that is the sign of what, according to John Stewart, that white people don't care. We've had affirmative action for 50 years. I was a senior in high school in 1971, and my guidance at this little rural high school brought four of us in. And I won't mention his name. He's a nice guy. And he said, Mr. X and Mr. Y and Mr. Hansen, there were three others. You have the four top GPAs. But I want to tell you that there's this new thing called affirmative action. And there are people in Selma High School that are going to be admitted to Stanford and UC Santa Cruz, UC Berkeley, that don't have your test scores and GPA. But this is called affirmative action. And I went home and I said to my parents, I... I have a 3.99. I'm out in the middle of nowhere. And my mom and dad were Democrats. They said, well, this is, I guess we'll just have to suffer for the cause. And that was the idea. And so when I got to graduate school, the guy brought us in, I won't mention his name, the PhD program and said, I would like you to informally sign this. He was a British guy. And he said, you will not get a job and you will not get a job, not because of the policies of this university that we discriminated, but because of affirmative action. And I didn't. There were no jobs. In fact, there were 17 jobs and I applied and I got back due to affirmative action. I, I went to a place and the guy said, I like your interview, but we're not going to hire you. You're the wrong color and you're in the wrong gender. OK, fine. And I was in that system myself. I, I hired six hiring committees. 
And I was told explicitly by one dean, you will not hire a white male classicist. I don't care if you have to go to Spain to get them. I do not want a white. This was not 2000. This was 1988, 89. I had students that were brilliant, but I've never even told people that. I had people in the dean's office that says, for this dean's medalist, this presidential medalist, would you please promote minority students? And I had one white male who was absolutely Einsteinian, classicist. He could pick up Latin and Greek and read them like English. He's a very strange, odd guy, but he was absolutely brilliant. And that year, I said to him, I'm going to try to get all four of our students in the top graduate PhD program, but it's going to be very hard for you. And he said, I have almost a perfect GRE. And he did. And I have straight A's and I can read Latin Greek as well as you can. Yes, yes. So why don't I go to Harvard or Yale? Stanford? And I said, I'm sorry, I didn't make the rule. So this is what I'm getting at, Sammy. My entire life has butted up against that. And this idea that all of a sudden, when the African-American and the minority unemployment rate had reached historical lows and we were reaching parity and we were getting to be an integrated society, this George Floyd and the 120 days of rioting and mayhem has set off this furor. You talk to a sociologist that wasn't woke, but relied on traditional sociology, and he looked at this phenomenon, he would say something. He would say that research on the Middle East, Palestinians, or he would talk about the Russian Revolution or the French Jacobins, that when you start to see upward mobility and you're approaching parity is when people become the most extreme. Yeah, you know, Andrew Sullivan in his article on this had an interesting conclusion too, because he was trying to address, well, then what is the root problem? Because given all of the affirmative action and the things that you've said, you still have a very high crime rate among Black Americans. And you also have the failure to achieve just the same, still high poverty rate. And he pointed out, he said, well, you need to just People need to be honest about this. 84% of Asian American kids grow up in two-parent households, and they're not having a problem. But only 33% of Black kids grow up in a two-parent household. And I think Denzel Washington has been on that point for I a don't, long time. I, don't, I think it's higher than that even, but go ahead. Yeah, but Washington's been on that point for a long time that, that it's not going to change in the African-American community until they start addressing it at the level of the family. See, I think the African-American elite on the left will say, don't tell us what to do. They will, Jesse Smollett can concoct an entire mirage and have everybody from Joe Biden to Kamala Harris buy into it and say, this is proof that you people collectively, without exception, are racist, but you cannot offer advice. Okay, fine. That's what most people say. No advice. But if you would ever ask anybody for their advice, they would say, in America, class trumps race now. And to be a member of the middle class and the upper middle class, it's not white, it's not European. These are the, because obviously Asians are the masters of this paradigm. This is what has to happen if you're brown, if you're white. I mean, we have the same pathologies with poor whites, especially from some Southern states. When I was growing up, the prejudice shown so-called Okies from the 1930 diaspora was terrible. 
I grew up with, I don't think I saw a upper middle-class white person until I went away to college. And they were, there were a lot of, I saw poverty among the lower white classes, but they violated these codes. And what were the codes? The codes were, if you're going to have children, marry. If you're married and have children, stay married at least until they're adults. Try to stay at one job, or if you're at one job, continue to develop an additional skills so you can be upwardly mobile. Try to avoid excessive alcohol intake, drug intake, etc. And try not to bring violence to your life. Don't settle disputes by hitting somebody or slapping them like Will. Don't do that. And if you do all of that, then you may end up a victim like Asian Americans are being thrown downstairs and trampled 150 times. Some uh, African-American huge fellow hit that poor Asian woman and then bragged about it, basically bragged about it in the sense he just stood there as a camera, as this uh, surveillance camera. And he just, I'm doing this to you. What are you going to do about it? Mm, Bragged the wrong, the wrong word, but, and then also have a culture that does not emphasize machismo or violence, but talks about, you know, manhood is defined as taking care of your family, protecting your family, making sure your children have good clothes, that they have someone to read to them. And that, that stuff. And you're anybody's welcome to adopt that. It's not white. If you adopt it as Asians do better than whites do, then you become upwardly mobile. But yeah. if you don't adopt that, and by the way, a lot of African-Americans, about 40 or 50%, if you look at statistics, they have adopted that and they're doing very well. But there's a large underclass. And I'll just finish with a very controversial statement. When you have Nicole Hannah-Jones saying that property crimes are kind of risk redistribution, as she said during the 2020 looting, they're not really crimes. And she's promulgating this idea that, you know, 150 something years before the Declaration of Independence, that's when the United States was inevitably marked as a racist society before anybody had any concept of it. And you're having, as I said, Whoopi Goldberg, Pound, and Joy, all these people doing all of this. They are the beneficiaries, not the people that are living in inner city Chicago that are now have a defunded police force, not the people in San Francisco, not the people in Milwaukee, not the people in Chicago or Baltimore who are living with a five-time felon that's let out by a Soros-funded DA. Those are the shock troops. They are the ones that live in poverty. They are the ones that are committing the violence against each other. But that pathology then by the elite is contextualized. And they're saying, see, look at the statistics or look what they did to George Floyd. Well, okay. I know that Ta-Nehisi Coates says at any one time you can be pulled over. I've been pulled over four times, I think, in my life. Pretty scary by three times by a policeman who started to get belligerent with me. And I hadn't done anything. In fact, on the way to the Sierras about six years ago, a guy pulled me over and got very belligerent. That happens. That's life. But when they get belligerent, you do not object. You just say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And you stay careful because they're under a lot of stress and pressure. Okay. But that elite class, that's the problem with this whole, this whole tribalism. 
and, you know, binaries of oppressor and oppressed, the, the Jesse Smollett class, they use the statistical dissimilarities and asymmetries of the underclass as reason to promote them. And so they say, I need to get in Stanford because there's been, you know, all this black homicides and there's all this uh, dysfunction. And therefore, I have been suffering. So I am Ali Obama. And all the statistics show that African-Americans do not have wage parity. So you owe me affirmative action to go to Stanford or, you know, that's how it is. And it doesn't make any sense. And what you're going to see to finish this rant is I think you're going to see about eight or nine things quietly. There are people right now and they're not Republican. They're not conservative. They're liberal because that's the only people that run academia. And they're saying, you know what? There's a million fewer students. We have alienated the entire white class. The Pentagon is alienated. We have the entire white working class. They're not going to borrow $1.7 trillion. Nobody is going to borrow that anymore. We overpriced. We gouge people. The debt is unsustained. They're going to go online courses or they're going to go to vocation training. That's number one. We're not going to have as much money. We have alienated the alumni. They don't want to give the money in the same amounts they used to. We have alienated the American people. And we can't be a meritocratic society and say the United States is going to be the premier world power and be supersede any other, I shouldn't say supersede, but maintain our lead over the Chinese, for example, if we have no SAT scores, no GRE scores, no the MSAT, none of that. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to start to see them slowly, insidiously reinstituting quantitative test. If they don't, they won't be able to distinguish who has the aptitude for a particular type. doesn't mean you can't have affirmative action, but they're going to be largely meritocratic. And you're going to see, as we go on, people getting very angry of being called uh, a racist all the time. So the word has no meaning now. And you're going to see, as this goes on, you're going to see more and more Jesse Smollett's and contrived racial incidents because they're going to be rarer and rarer, but they're going to be hyped and hyped and hyped as people feel public opinion. I wrote an article in this issue of New Criterion on Black Lives Matter, and I quoted the data on polls. Right after George Floyd, 57% of American people supported Black Lives. Now it's well, it's down to about 35, 40%. They have lost not white support alone, but they've lost support in the black community, the Latino community, all community. And, yeah. and the reason is they, they feel that they weren't transparent. The, the owners, or the, I should say the creators, absconded with money. They built, they got mansions. They were, and they, but mostly they beat the racehorse to death. Yeah. You can't tell anybody again and again and again that they're culpable for the society that their great-grandfathers, not even their own great-grandfathers, the society that their great-grandfathers lived in. This is, you know, it's 60 years from the civil rights movement. So you've got people who were born 40 years after affirmative action. They have no idea about Jim Crow. They have no idea about housing discrimination. They grew up in the age of affirmative action that are 20 years old. And you can't tell them they're racist just because of the color of their skin. And there's going to, you're going to see it in November. That's not the only reason, but the border 
Afghanistan, inflation fuel, but also crime and race. And you're going to see a huge backlash. It's not going to be what Van Jones, that now worth $100 million, a white lash. It's going to be a backlash against this entire woke, green, and hard left progressive project. Yeah. Okay, Victor, let's go ahead and take a moment for some more messages and then come back to talk about the midterm elections. So we'll be right back. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. And Angie is here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes, whatever your home project Big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. My son needed a major yard cleanup at his new home. We went straight to the Angie website and found a bunch of local, reliable, and affordable pros to handle the job, and one did pronto. Angie can help you find the best price for your project. Angie lets you request and compare quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps, or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. Get started at Angie.com, that's A-N-G-I.com, or download the app today. The app and website are free to use. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. So the elections, midterm elections, I know you're predicting a big turnaround for the Republicans. And I know that our listeners are well aware of the border overrun, inflation running over, taxes up, foreign policy in a shambles, supply chain problems, crime waves, large deficits. And I guess we could go on. Our listeners definitely know about those things. Will the Democrats weather all these failures, do you think? No, they're not. They're going to, first of all, all whether it's Trump, all presidents in the modern era, except maybe George W. Bush, that was because of 9-11, they take a schlacking of anywhere from 15 to 25 seats in the first midterm. Because people get, you know, they are very, their expectations are never met. And then you add to that that the House is almost even. It's only separated by six or seven seats. So they're starting basically even. And it's not incomprehensible that they're going to take 50 seats away, going to win 50 seats, which means it's not a zero, it's a zero sum game. It's not like you add 50 seats to your total and the Democrats get to keep theirs. You subtract from them and you add to them. So you could see a 60 to 70 seat spread. I think that they will take back the Senate. And then it will get very interesting because what will the Democrats do? 
They don't have a Barack Obama who can say, oh, we have a schlacking. And then he kind of went to the center for a couple of years till he got reelected before he went back left. Joe Biden has no no personal skills, no political skills. He's non-complemental. So he's he's a force multiplier of his own destruction and the democratic destruction. And so what you're seeing, I think I sense it. I think our listeners do too. This idea that now suddenly, have you noticed that Hunter Biden's laptop is a legitimate discussion and all these people are giving, oh, I didn't know. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't, couldn't, I shouldn't have done that i.e. the Washington Post and New York Times, people who lied, or maybe didn't Jack Dorsey the other day say, I just wish that Twitter hadn't ended up the way it did. Maybe <laughs> partially, i.e., God, I censored an entire story like it was a Russian commissar in 1938 show okay. trial, 37. And wow, I knew the whole time that Hunter, or maybe I was one of those 50 in former intelligence <laughs> officials who said that it was Russian. So they all know that. And why are they doing that now? Is it because they got, they came to Jesus and became good Christians? No. They're thinking, you know what? Joe Biden is not just a dunce and he's not just a mean SOB and he's not just cognitively impaired. He's capable of destroying us at the local, regional, state, and federal level. So we can ease him out the door. And we can work with Kamala Harris. I know everybody says she polls less than Joe. Yes, but she's young, younger. She's African-American. She's a woman. And they can work with her. They can go and get her in a room and say, you don't know anything. You're a total fool. <laughs> but here's what you're going to say. And here's what you're going to do. Because she's not impaired like Joe Biden. And Joe Biden has a mean streak. He always did. So I think. And they're going to tell her Now that doesn't mean you're going to run for re-election. We're going to, you know, work and give you money. That means you're going to save us for two years because mm -hmm. this guy is in power for four years. He's going to destroy the country and they're going to pay for it. But you're going to start to see indicators that the left wing media no longer protects the Biden family. And I think you're going to see Durham go Full blast. They're not going to stop it. Poor little Merrick Garland, the Hamlet uh, attorney general, that pain face and expression that he's a judge. He's going to probably think, hmm, do I want to go down with the Biden ship or do I want to be a folk hero and say no when they tell me to lay off Hunter or go after Trump? I think it's all poll driven. And they're looking at George McGovern or Mike Dukakis and they're thinking, oh, wow, there's no hope. What yeah, that's what it seems to me. Like, do they have enough months to actually excise Joe Biden from his office, get Kamala no. back in, and then run all sorts of cleanup missions on all these problems that people are hating? I, I don't see it. No, I mean, you see the thing about Jimmy Carter, he was a disaster. Yeah. And he did a lot of stuff Biden did, especially he gave us stagflation. He gave us the definition stagflation. But a lot of the stuff was, you know, overseas. It wasn't just Ukraine as a, a third party theater. It was an attack on the United States, the Iranian hostage. Now, you can argue it was because of his appeasement, but there were things that happened that he didn't react well to a new belligerent Soviet Union. And he may have caused them. But with Joe Biden, every single 
crisis. He's self-created. It's self-induced. It's manufactured. He destroyed. He stopped the border wall. He destroyed federal immigration law. He printed money. He was the one that made sure the Federal Reserve kept interest rates artificially. He gave more money to people than they could make working, staying home, COVID after the threat had passed. He had these multi-trillion dollar crazy programs. He was the one that stopped energy production and put ANWR and new federal leases and canceled pi off limits and canceled. He was the one that begged the Saudis. And, and so it's hard to blame anybody. Now they're trying to blame Putin and it's pathetic. If Putin caused high gas prices, then Joe Biden never begged other countries to, you know, months ago, he never begged Russia to print more, pump more oil. Putin caused the oil crisis. And so I went and asked him before the war to pump more oil. <laughs> it doesn't make <laughs> sense. It doesn't make sense. Or if he says prices didn't go up, inflation was caused by Putin. And to prove it, before the war even started, I said, oh, don't worry about inflation. It's transitory. Or don't worry. It's just a matter about not getting your exercise machine on time. Or don't worry <laughs> about inflation. It's just a little obsession of the elite. That's what Saki and Biden said. So yeah. their own words convict them. And people are not stupid. And they know that. And so I think thing, you're right. Yeah, and he has a, I don't know how to say this because I know that people listen and and will take it the wrong way or use it against me. But there's something about him now that is tragic. His gait has deteriorated into uh, octogenarian shuffle. shuffle yeah. yeah. His complexion is reptilian. Years of facial work or Botox or hair plugs, whatever it is, he has a fixed expression, kind of a Joker-like smile. It doesn't, when you look at 30 years ago, and he, I know everybody ages, but it doesn't look like the same. He doesn't age the same way Donald Trump, say, just or even Pelosi with all that. He doesn't look well, and he's frail. And he has that, as I said, that get off my grass elderly expression when you're losing control or you're not in full control of your physical and mental capabilities or you don't have any capabilities. Mm -hmm. And so he, he gets angry. Shut up, fat. <laughs> Dog face pony liar, dog face soldier, pony soldier, pony liar. soldier liar, all of that stuff. And you know, hey junkie, you're a junkie. Hey, you ain't black. I mean, hey Negro, hey boy, all that stuff he does, and it's it's just bothersome, and it just turns people off. And there was yeah, a Ru there was a Russian historian the other day, very pro Putin, and he was quoted there saying, "Well, when Putin is a killer or a war criminal, is that?" Does he take it seriously? He said, no, he doesn't like it. And I said, why? Because nobody takes him serious because they correct everything he says. So we know that he's, although I think it's dangerous to call a killer a killer unless you have the wherewithal to make sure you can control the killer. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know. Got to be very careful. I know that as a former high school wrestler, when you were an underdog and you were beating an overdog and your coach would always warn you when you've got a five to one lead and you've got 30 seconds left and the guy is exhausted and you beat him. Don't think <laughs> to relax and don't make fun of him and don't prance around the ring and don't high five yourself because that guy can just spring at you because he's furious now and you've given him a shot of adrenaline. So that's the time to, you know, finish him off. But what Biden is doing is he's just trying to 
you know, incite the murder of Putin, but he doesn't have any any plan to make sure the murderer doesn't murder people and more murder people. So are you ready to are you ready to take a bet on this? Like, I think I would bet that you're going to have just I mean, I I believe you. And so you're probably going to win this bet. But I would be willing to bet that it will be less than a 40 Seat no, spread. I think it'll be more than 40. That would be a lot because we're not starting as we were in 2010 blowout way down. You know what I mean? And they're not starting when they had a super majority in the Senate. You know, they got a lot of Senate seats. It's almost it's even in the Senate. So it's very hard in America when in a 50-50 country to get a 10 seat or 20 seat advantage. Even with all of the anti-Trump stuff, they're only six seats ahead in the House and deadlock 50-50 in the Senate. But I'm still thinking a 40-seat pickup at the dead end. That, that's 1938 levels. Yeah. And I'm, I'm shocked at the polls. When I see this poll, you know, from Reuters or, or Malmut, then it shows him 37%. I'm shocked in two ways. This is a liberal polling. They're all liberal except maybe for Rasmussen. And they all hedge, as we know, and it's still bad. And then yeah. number two, my second thought is, how in the world do you really believe there's 35% of the country think they approve of this? I mean, what is it that he's done when Hillary said he's got he's to be a better communicator of his disasters? What has he done? Can you imagine what they're thinking right now? They, Hillary Clinton, is, she's not more unhinged than... Biden, Hillary's basically saying, you let in 2 million people in a plague without vaccinations and no skills and no English, and they're impoverished and they're flooding mostly Latino communities. And this is something you got to brag about. And you left a billion dollar embassy and $80 billion of equipment and a 300 million outfitted Bagram Air Base, biggest in Central Asia. And that's something you got to really emphasize. And you've really got to point out that you told Zelensky to hightail it out there the first couple of days of the war, you know, and then you didn't sell them any offensive weaponry for the whole fall and the harpoon missiles, anything. That's something you've got to emphasize. You've got to emphasize that you did the United States a favor. You canceled that awful Keystone, that awful Anwar, those awful federal leases. And that's a record that the American people don't know fully about. That's my point. I just don't see it. I, I think all that. they have all is right. Janu- they have two dead horses, Donald Trump and January 6th. Yeah, well, love, we'll love, see love in them. 2024, too, whether Mut- they can mutilate. pull it off. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see if they can pull it off. It'll be an interesting election by the time we get there. Well, let's turn then to big tech. And I was looking at an article that was talking about when did big tech become the censors? And this particular article said in 2016, when the populism of Donald Trump was just too much for the elite. And I know that we have a bill in Congress right now, a, what is it called? It's the American Innovation and Choice Online Act. And they've got lots of big tech pumping money into their congressmen and hoping to prevent this thing from getting through, apparently. We have Elon Musk, who is now a big, the biggest owner of Twitter as Jack Dorsey has stepped down. And, or as, well, he stepped down as CEO, I realized, but then, you know, the turning of things, he's, Elon Musk tends to be a little bit more right-wing, although I'm sure socially there are some 
he has some differences with the Republicans. But what are your thoughts on this big tech conundrum of trying to keep them from being our censors? Well, it's sort of like Terminator. They've now the machines and their technologies are accelerating at a speed that is force multiplying their monopolies. And so we don't even know what they're up to. I mean, when I buy something in Amazon, all of a sudden I, I want to call somebody and that pops up and says, you'd be interested in this. <laughs> or, you know, I fly somewhere and I'm in a place and they said, oh, now that you're here, right around the corner is a restaurant that's sort of similar to the restaurant you ate at when you use your credit card a month ago. So it's scary. But it's so weird because you remember that Macintosh, Apple in the late 70s, 80s, but especially in the late 80s, it was the Steve Jobs. And then they kind of got rid of Steve Jobs. And by early 1990s, it, Apple was sort of dead. And it was the big evil Bill Gates and Microsoft and all the people. There was this war. So if you had, I always, I've never had any computer in my life other than an Apple. But during the 90s, it was very hard to get them fixed or find parts because they were dead. And everybody had Microsoft. And I would go to places in Fresno or Palo Alto, and you'd find some weird guy with long hair. You'd go in this little shop, and it was piled with all these ancient Macintosh. And he was a geek, and he was like, oh, yeah, man, we're going we're gonna to have to beat Microsoft, man. It's like Microsoft's the man, man. And it's like Xerox and IBM. And, and that was what the whole culture was, these long-haired guys from dropouts from Stanford Computer Engineering or Berkeley. And that was what Silicon Valley was. But, and this is my quandary, that type of outlier and that type of oddball, and that's good, but are they more or less conducive <laughs> to when they finally get power to be absolutely relentless and unyielding in their pursuit of more and more power at the expense of other people. It kind of reminds me of my first year at UC Santa Cruz in 1971. And my, I think I've said that before. My father took me to the Cal College dorm and he walked down the hallway and there were all these people with signs, you know, on the door. Reefers or dope, grass, psilocybin, all with a price list. And then we went in the bathroom and it was filthy, dirty. And there was a poor woman, speaking of poor whites, this woman was from Oklahoma, a very thick accent. She was on her knees cleaning it up. And he went into the room that I was supposed to move in. And it was an ungodly mess. And he said, now remember, Victor, don't be fooled by all the body odor and the laid back. These people will be relentless. And the guy that has that drug sign on his door, he will be a more cutthroat capitalist than anybody you'll see in the insurance or used car business. <laughs> and he was right. He was absolutely right. They were the most selfish people I'd ever been around in my life. And so if you have long hair and stuff and you screw up and make a bathroom filthy or you overprice it, then what does it matter what you look like? So what I'm getting at is, I'm starting to think that Silicon Valley, with all of that hype about do your own thing, and we're, it brought certain people into that field, maybe highly creative, very intelligent, but prone to be very authoritarian and very self-centered, narcissistic. And that whole 
they're not like they, you know, once they got into it and once they got the power, they were sort of like Jacobins, Robespierre people. Well, we're the real revolutionary or Lenin or Stalin or Trotsky or any of these would-be people that thinks, you know what, we have these noble ends and we just need any means to do it. And the fact that, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is perfect, isn't he? He's like a third generation Silicon Valley fraud. He gets these little pictures of surfing and you know, on 4th of July, and he's really cool. And then you look at what he does, and he's ruthless. Yeah. The only good thing about Mark Zuckerberg is he is politically as stupid in the long run as he is brilliant making money in Silicon Valley. By that, I mean, when you look at the disasters that we just delineated, everything from the border to inflation to fuel crisis to Ukraine to Afghanistan. And then you think that this guy paid $419 million of his own money to warp key precincts to get that elected? Yeah. You know what I mean? Some guy- Like how stupid can he be? How stupid can you be? You bought- an open border will plague this country for years. You bought a abandoned Afghanistan. You bought critical race theory. You bought an energy crisis. You bought an inflationary destructive input. You paid for it, lock, stock, and barrel in your but he, genius. He, he also bought a Hawaiian estate, so he doesn't have to worry about any of that stuff. He not only bought a a Hawaiian estate, but in typical UC 1971 dorm fashion, he started building a wall to exclude anybody who had access to it. <laughs> in the same way, in 1971 UCSC dorm fashion, Barack Obama, who was deprived, he didn't have enough square footage at his Colorama mansion in Washington. So he was forced to buy a Martha's Vineyard estate right on a global warming, seas are rising, we're all doomed coast. And that wasn't enough. He was too crowded. So he's building a new third mansion in Hawaii. And guess what? He's up against environmentalists because his drainage and his efforts to get rid of wastewater or runoff, they're not green. And so you ask yourself, when you look at all this stuff, Al Gore selling his stupid cable company to Al Jazeera who's been getting carbon dollars in return or the Steiner, Tom Steiner made his fortune in Indochina coal plants or John Kerry <laughs> zooming all over the world. I have to fly private. There's something about this green left wing woke movement that is some psychological squaring of the circle that I am a selfish person. I like nice stuff for myself. I want to enjoy the fruits of capitalism. And I, unlike the unwashed, deplorable class, am sensitive enough to know what I'm doing. And I feel terrible about it. I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to max, I'm going to manufacture a, you're a villain. You are right-wing nut. You're a racist. You're a sexist. You're a nativist. You're a protection facade to make sure I can still go into heaven and enjoy this stuff I rail about in the abstract. It's really weird, especially when I see these very, 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 very wealthy white people. And I'm saying white people collectively, which I shouldn't, but I mean very, very wealthy left-wing Karen types and the bi-coastal elite. And when they start talking about racism, Nicole Wallace or somebody like that, you know, racism, racism, and they get angry. And then you think, well, wow. Do you live with the common people? Do you go to PTA meetings with a Mexican-American person? 
Do you, your son go to school with a poor black guy? I'm not talking about wealthy people of all that. I'm talking about the middle and lower class. And the answer is no, they're completely segregated. This is the most segregated elite we've ever had in the country. Otherwise, they wouldn't build these huge walls around the Pelosi estate or the Barbara Streisand estate. Yeah. That explains their, their politics, I think. Yeah. It's compensation yeah. for their own inner doubts that they're basically selfish and prejudicial and biased people. Well, we'll see if this new bill going through Congress, the American Innovation and Choice Online Act, has any teeth to it to stop the censorship. That's mostly what I'm concerned about. But, oh, I don't think it will. Know. Not until you have yeah. competition again. Not until yeah. either the Truth Project that Trump and Nunes are doing or a revived parlor or some Elon Musk's uh, membership on the Twitter stockholders, you know, he's a board, maybe a board member stockholder, big 10% guy. That's the only thing. That's the American solution to it. But they have a classic standard oil trust monopoly in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Well, let's take a moment for some messages and then we'll be right back and talk a little bit about the Durham investigation. We'll be right back. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Victor, we have a Durham investigation going on, and you did mention it a little bit earlier, but recently John Solomon's Just the News... He's done a good job investigating and he has new information, at least from the Durham investigation and its progress, I would say, towards revealing all of the Clinton crimes, if I can call them that, or at least all of the Clinton insertions into the lies that were told about, especially about Donald Trump. And probably the biggest one is looking at all of Clinton operatives who were spreading collusion lies about Trump in the early years of his administration into intelligence agencies. And so spreading that so that they would get the intelligence agencies investigating things on Trump that were completely bogus. And Durham is slowly uncovering that. And according to Solomon, he recently used the term joint venture, that the effort to do this by the Clinton administration and the other operatives is a joint venture, which is not quite saying a conspiracy, but it's pretty close. And this is in the trial of Michael Sussman. And so I was wondering your thoughts on the new evidence coming out? Well, Hillary got a big eight. <laughs> she got a big $8,000 fine for not reporting her skullduggery and siphoning off money and then putting it through paywalls for Christopher Steele. The DNC was what, fined 108 
$100,000 by the Federal Elections Committee for violating. Kevin Kleinsmith forged a document, an FBI lawyer. What did he get? So I'm not confident that Sussman is going to face any real penalty. There's another, there's about eight themes to all this. Sussman is a former, what, federal prosecutor? And he used that expertise and supposed to, and he was the type of prosecutor I suppose we should be very scared about. And he used that knowledge of how prosecutorial work uses to advance a partisan cause, and he lied. So he knows how it works. And when you want to get a a story, you call up the FBI, somebody you know, and James Baker was the legal counsel. So he obviously knew who he was. And he called him up and he said, hey, I think you got to kind of investigate this story. The Russians have been communicating with Donald Trump through the, their Alpha Bank. There's pings. And now I don't know where I, it's. I, there's a rumor going around that that this uh, these techies have been uh, that had a contract to handle the executive office uh, communications have found something. Now, I want to make sure, Mr. Baker, that I'm not calling you as a member of the DNC or anything. I'm not anybody's payroll. I'm just a concerned citizen. And so then Mr. Baker said, gee, thank you. And we'll look into it. And the FBI then looked into it. And what happened? I'm not saying it was Mr. Sussman, but I'm almost immediately in the press. You got this story on CNN, FBI looking into mysterious Trump pings. So it was all concocted. And he thought he was going to get away with it because he said he said she said when Durham first mentioned it. And you said that's a lie. Now we find out he emailed him. He emailed Baker. It's in writing that I am not representing anybody. And yet we know from the Perkins Coie law firm that he billed build them to bill Hillary Clinton for working for Hillary Clinton. So he lied to a federal investigator. I don't know what that gets you in Merrick Garland's Justice Department, but probably not a lot. But just very quickly, remember what he's trying to uncover, which we already know. Everybody knows what happened. It's just now a matter of proving it. Hillary Clinton wanted to destroy Donald Trump and she wanted a landslide. So she heard about never Trump opposition. So she went into the DNC and said, we've got to get dirt on Donald Trump. And they went to the Perkins Coe left-wing law firm and they said, get your guys going. And many of them were former DNC or Hillary Clinton supporters or, or affiliates. And then people like Mark Elias and Sussman, then they got in touch with Fusion GPS and Fusion GPS then hired Christopher Steele. And they had all these paywalls so you could not trace the ultimate source of the funding to pay these people to do these things, to concoct these lies. And lies they were. There was no alpha bank communication back and forth with Donald Trump. There was no PP tape. There was no Russian consulate in, you know, in Florida. All of my, it was all concocted and she got away with it and she didn't quit when she lost. Then it continued with the Mike Flynn surveillance. It continued into the presidency. It continued with the Mueller investigation and continued with Andrew Weissman. And the whole time she projected in disinformation, she said, Donald Trump is Collusion. She was the one colluding with the Russians. Why do I say that? Because the two sources of the Steele dossier that were feeding this stuff was a 
Ukrainian-Russian affiliated person at the Brookings Institution that was working or sympathetic to her. And one of her, Mr. Dolan, one of her former staffers was in Russia getting stuff from the Russians. And that's how it happened. And we all know it. And then the, the final most tesserate of this mosaic was they used all of their combined Washington swamp contacts to get this out. So somebody said, hey, hire Nellie Orr. She's a Russian special, but more important, her husband, Bruce, works for the Department of Justice. So we can funnel this stuff through Nellie, through Bruce, and then we can get it out. Or, hey, let's get, you know, Andrew McCabe's wife is running for Congress and she got Clinton money. And now Andrew McCabe is looking at the email. And so there was all this reliance on incestuous Washington marriages, sibling relationships, et cetera, James Baker. And they were all, what's really sad about it, they were federal employees. They were former federal employees. Sussman was a former federal prosecutor. Kleinsmith was a current FBI lawyer. Brennan, Clapper, McKay, God, they were all federal employees. And they were all dishonest or lied under oath or dissimulated before Congress. And yeah, and then and nothing happened to them, and that's. Then they had these open letters. I never understood. Anytime you our listeners see somebody, it says an open letter, and you have fifty federal people or twenty. Don't believe it. It's all lies. What do I say? That we had fifty former intelligence officers swear under the aegis of Clapper and Brennan that Hunter laptop was likely Russian disinformation. It was a complete lie. They knew it was a lie. We had healthcare workers, remember in May of 2020, a thousand of them swear that you had to lift quarantine and mask requirements for BLM protesters because it was psychologically injurious for them not to protest and I guess demonstrate and riot. They knew that wasn't true. They just simply lied. We had over, I don't know how many, 50, 60 Stanford professors of medicine, MDs, and healthcare people lie and say Scott Atlas was basically incompetent and a danger when, in fact, everything he said, everything he said, everything he said, that this is a disease of the elderly with comorbidities, that children 1 to 18 are simply not going to pass it on, that some of the two safest professions are airline stewardess with filtered air every three minutes and teachers with students and constituencies that don't get COVID and that we have to focus on elderly people with comorbidities, but you do not damage and destroy the economy and the healthcare system by shutting it down. That was all true. And yet they had all these signatures. We signed. And so it's all been weaponized. It, it really has. And, uh, yeah. How do you change that? Because I think I these people are signing know. on to a lie because they don't want to lose their job. I mean, oh, they want to get it's either they, that's the worst scenario. I mean, the best scenario. The other is they're very well compensated. They're not going to lose their job, but they just want to get perks. How many people sign letters that they resented the idea that the Wuhan lab was the origins of the COVID outbreak? There was that because they wanted to make sure they get a grant from Anthony Fauci, who had his own kingdom, multi-billion dollar kingdom at, at the Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease. Part of it is the government is so huge now and it's so wealthy and it disperses so much redistributive money 
that these people are, we have never had them in American history. They are judge, juror, and executioner. They're executive, legislative, and judicial branch all in one. If they go after you, or they want to destroy you, or they want to hurt you, or they want to help you, or they can do it. So people react to that power and the pressure. It's really scary. And when you put this into the matrix that are operating out of Washington, D.C., that's about 85% left wing and woke, they're basically telling somebody, you better not cross me or I'm going to have you indicted. And if you're indicted, you're convicted in Washington. And even if I have nothing on you, a jury is going to negate the evidence and convict you. So you better plea bargain. And they use that power in the DOJ. And that's what a lot of this stuff was when they went after all of these minor Trump officials and threatened them with all these indictments. They ruined Papadopoulos' life. They went after poor, is it Carter Page? Page, yeah, Carter yeah. Page. I mean, guy, it was first in his class at Naval Academy. And he might have had a mild form of Asperger's or something, but he was a very brilliant, nice person. And he yeah. was honest and they destroyed him. And it's just, I don't, the whole Clinton, Hillary Clinton, when I, I see her and I read about her and I see her continual fabrications and the callousness and cruelty of her, you know, that horrible picture of a mutilated Gaddafi on television. And then she said, <laughs> we came, he, we saw he died. And then that Libyan destruction or what difference does it make? It's people, heroic people killed. Yeah. In Benghazi. And then I think of all the things she did with collusion and lying about collusion. She's still doing it. And it just no, no consequences at all. No, she doesn't seem. Uranium one, Bill Clinton getting, you know, $500,000 for a speech in Moscow while his wife was on an oversight board as secretary of state, basically leveraging her buddies to give away 20% of North American uranium. Yeah. Well, Hillary Clinton doesn't seem to have a soul. That's for sure. Well, Victor, I think we're going to call it. What a downer to end on. I know. I was was trying to think of something upbeat to end on. How about Sarah Sarah Palin running for Congress as Alaska's only representative? 50 candidates. Gosh, it's so funny because... uh, what they did to Sarah Palin, and you compare her to Kamala Harris. Yeah. Just the idea that she might be vice president. This is a woman with had been a mom with, what, five kids from the lower middle classes. Self-improvement was her credo. She was a little mayor, but she was she was on an oil board. She bucked Republicans and Democrats. She was a good governor. But yep. because of her, oh, my gosh, or her accent or her zeal that she was easily caricatured and you know they did she didn't know how to she didn't have the money to dress right nicole wallace of all people was her mccain advisor handler and then you compare that and she is considered alt-right and racist and bad and then you look at kamala harris every privilege parents unlike sarah palin's with what phds stanford professor research uc cancer researcher grew up pretty well and then playing the victim, consort yeah. of Willie, Willie Brown, what ushered in to the corridors of power, now vice president. No one says a word about her incompetence. The media closes ranks behind her. Yeah. I hope Sarah wins the House race, and I want to see the look on people's faces when she's in Congress. Yeah, when she comes back. Yeah, well, so we'll hope for the return of By Sarah. By golly, Taylor. I do. 
<laughs> okay, great. All right, Victor. Well, thank you for everything today. It's okay. been a great news roundup. Thanks to the listeners as well. Thank you. All right. This is Sammy Wink and Victor Davis Hansen, and we're signing off.